0: Good evening, my name is Ben Milner, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going through the book of Luke, and um, this passage tonight is obviously about money and possessions and wealth, which is a major part of the teachings of Jesus. Um, 16 out of the 38 parables that he taught about were about money, and um, 10% of the Gospels are actually about his teachings about money. So it was something that he thought a lot about, Um, he had a lot to say about Same thing is true throughout the whole Bible. Um, We vastly underestimate how important our relationship with our money and our things are to our relationship with God. They go hand in hand. And Jesus never said that wealth or money was evil. So that's one distortion that the church sometimes is taught. Uh, That's not true. Um, On the other hand, he talks a lot about the dangers of having um, your soul tied to money. Uh, He talks a lot about greed. And in tonight's passage, he talks about covetousness. And covetous just means desiring something that you don't have. So wanting more, wanting to use the money that you have to make more money, um, wanting things you don't have to spend your money on to have. So this is what covetousness means. And he says in verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all types of covetousness. And the words that are used there for take care and be on guard are words they would use in battle when someone is about to come and attack you. So it's a, it's a strong Greek word that implies that there's a kind of an arch enemy out there and that this kind of evil genius lurks in the shadows like Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes. That kind of uh, arch enemy is out there and uh, that covetousness is greatly to be feared and to be on guard about and to be careful about. And it can worm its way into your brain without you even noticing and make you miserable. And one moment you can be satisfied with your job and your salary and feel great about your coworkers, and the next moment, when you find out that a certain coworker is making more than you, uh, you begin to get all messed up and you can't sleep that night. That's happened to me before. Um, So I can tell you from experience, and I'm sure we could all share stories about this, that covetousness and wanting things that you don't have and comparing yourself to others in terms of what they have is extremely dangerous and makes you miserable. It can make your life miserable. And uh, there's a couple things I wanna talk about. First, that covetousness is tied to anxiety. There's a link there. That's why you have the parable of the rich man which is about covetousness, and then you also have the parable or the stories uh, about the birds and the lilies of the field and not being anxious. Those are tied together, covetousness and anxiety. And the other thing is that trust is the way that we break anxiety, and therefore also it weakens our grip on things. So covetousness, uh, our death grip on financial security and things, and then trust which is our death grip on our Father's care for us, our Father in heaven and his care for us. So, uh, first of all, he tells this parable about this rich man. It says in verse 16, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And so this is a man who uh, has a field, and that year he had a bumper crop. Things went really well, and so tons of grain that year or maybe maybe it's a vineyard a lot of grapes uh, maybe both but anyway he's suddenly rich and it was nothing that he did the land did everything Um, and yet his first thought is not gratitude thank you lord for giving me this crop Uh, his first thought is how can I protect my wealth what shall I do I have nowhere to store my crops so imagine you get a large amount of money out of nowhere, it's a total gift. Your, your first thought might be gratitude for just a second, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, how am I going to cling to this? How am I going to make more money off of this? What am I going to do with this? And then the covetous thoughts begin to race. And look at what he says in verse 18. Uh, this could almost be a, um, a modern statement of the whole, the whole system of investment and the stock market. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones And there I will store all my grain and my goods. That's not saying that investing is wrong or that being in that business is wrong. But it does sound a lot like this. And you can see his mind, and, and oftentimes our minds do this, begin to coil around our things, our wealth, like a python, and just grip onto that. Now, how can I make more off of this? It's interesting that the context of the parable... We didn't read this. Susie didn't read this part, but right before the parable, if you have a Bible, you can look right before that, and you'll see that the context is a dispute about inheritance. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of plays, uh, movies, stories about a sudden inheritance. Shakespeare has plays about this. It's a common story. Imagine that your parents died and that, you know, you have some siblings. Imagine you have some siblings. I do. I have two brothers and imagine that somehow there's all of a sudden two million dollars, the unexpected wealth is there, nobody quite knew how much was there, and then at that very moment, um, what could be a beautiful relationship with your siblings could begin to go completely crazy. I've seen this happen in a family I know very well. I saw this happen. Um, the, the money was there, and all of a sudden, in your mind, begin to rush these thoughts. I'll pay off my debts, uh, I'll retire early, I'll buy a new car. I'll buy a bunch of stock and the covetousness begins. And uh, it can make you very anxious. It can make you very suspicious and even paranoid. You know, what are, what are my siblings doing right now to take advantage of me? And what are they getting that I'm not getting? And all of a sudden you're, you're out of control with your thoughts about things. A second earlier that you didn't, you didn't care at all. You had a great relationship and all of a sudden things are going awry. That's the context of the parable where he talks about this rich man. And I think really basically behind all of this is we think that our wealth does a lot for our lives, that it really makes us happy and that it makes us secure, and it enters into our self-talk at the deepest level. Notice the guy says, I will say to my soul, verse 19, I will say to my soul, and we do this, we talk to our souls, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now that I have all this stuff, I can relax. And I can just enjoy life. And really, the reality is that social scientists will tell you, psychologists will tell you, based on a lot of evidence, it does not make you eat and drink and be merry. It does not make you relaxed. In fact, it often does the opposite. It can dominate our minds. Verse 30 says, uh, in the New Living Translation, verse 30 says, getting food and clothing dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. So that's a very worldly thing uh, to do. If, if If you do not have faith, if you do not know the Father who is your provider, then it's very hard in any way to resist this dominance of your thoughts about food and clothing and on and on and on. That's just two things of the many different things that we're anxious about and think about. And that's why Jesus... Has to say something as obvious as verse 23, which seems like, you know, duh, why would you even need to say that? Um, Life is more than food, and body is more than clothing. Like, why would you have to say that? Obviously, life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing, but he's got to say that because a lot of times, food and clothing dominate our minds so much that we think that's what life's really about, and on and on and on, your car, your house, your investments, whatever it is. Uh, he's got to tell us because we're so crazy uh, that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, verse 15. He's correcting something we think all the time that our life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. So imagine you you know you have your your mind as a circle or like imagine a, a picture of a brain and that's your mind and somebody asks you, okay what percentage of your mind and your thoughts are, consumed by Possessions color in I heard a therapist say color in the amount of your thoughts about food And so the person colored in about half of the brain. That's how much of their thinking was about food um, But imagine you add to that your your clothing The, the things you want to buy the things that are coming to you in the mail from Amazon The things you need to take back the gifts you want to get somebody uh, your house what's going on in your house Uh, your dining room table that's breaking, your ceiling that's leaking, and just go on and on. Now, what percentage of that brain is colored in with things, with possessions, with money? Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, verse 22, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. We think that the anxiety and the thinking will um, in some ways protect us from catastrophe. A great uh, psychologist uh, named David Burns describes anxiety as magical thinking. That's one way he says to think about anxiety as magical thinking because we think that if we're anxious about something, it protects us. In fact, if we're anxious about something enough, it might not happen. It's like we're, we're guarding that thing with our mind if, we, if we're anxious about it. So if we're worried about our child in some way and we have enough anxiety about that child, then maybe the thing we worry about won't happen. Magical thinking is what this uh, psych- psychologist calls it, David Burns. Um, Jesus is dispelling magical thinking when he says in verse 25, which of you are being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? Your anxiety is not doing anything useful for you. You think that your anxiety is fulfilling some function and keeping you safe somehow. And Jesus is saying, stop trying to protect yourself and your stuff by being anxious. It's not working. Look at your track record. It does not work. Um, your anxiety is not helping you verse 26 if you can't even add a second to your life by being anxious why are you anxious about the rest of your life he's saying he's first of all he's very aware that anxiety is a major problem throughout the bible and the modern age is even more dominated by anxiety and he's saying what good is it doing to be anxious which might sound like a stupid question but you should really ask yourself that Is it really helping me to be anxious? Because somewhere inside you think that it is helping you to be anxious. And he's saying your worry about things is not a way of maintaining control. A lot of times it's a way of maintaining control of your life, and he's saying that's not true. So that's the first one, the link between covetousness and anxiety. And the second point is now that trust in our Heavenly Father can liberate us from both anxiety and covetousness. Uh, Look at verse 30 again. All the nations of the world seek after these things. Or again, these things dominate the mind of the nations of the world. But, he says, Jesus says, But you, if you're a Christian, you know that your heavenly Father is out there and is real. And he knows that you need them. He is not unaware of your thoughts right now. He knows every thought you're having right now. And he knows all the things that you need. And he knows what you're anxious about right now. And uh, you have a father in heaven who's watching all of that. And he's a good father. He is uh, absolutely masterful at providing. You might not have had a, a good father. Your father might have been a poor provider. Might have been lazy or didn't work or something like that and never provided for the family. And Jesus is saying, the father in heaven, my father, who he knows, is a great provider. And is always always able to meet your needs. He's never impotent. He is never neglectful. He is never incompetent. And he is actually able to show off recklessly his ability to provide for everything, not just you, but for the grass, for the birds. The birds aren't anxious. Our dog's not anxious. Well, actually, our dog is anxious, but our dog is not anxious about getting things. Um, Our you, you know animals are not sitting around picking their nails and scratching their head about what they need God is a great father to the animals look at verse 28 God clothes the grass in splendor greater than Solomon's Solomon was the king had this beautiful uh, cloak he uh, had all these marvelous riches he had a, he had beautiful clothing and Jesus is saying the grass the grass of the field which is right now not very pretty but come back in March, and there'll be little flowers. Um, Grass is 26% of all of the life on Earth, all the plant life on Earth, 26% is grass. If you have a a beautiful lawn, that increases the value of your home by 20%. So he's saying that grass is amazing, and there's a lot of it, and the Father is caring for every single one of those blades. And he says, think about the flowers, the daisies, and the, the dandelions, and the clover and the violets that grow wild in the grass, each one of these little things like a snowflake, a beautiful, unique masterpiece. And Jesus is saying in verse 28, these things are alive one day, and the next day they're dead. And each one is something beyond anything we could ever imagine engineering. For all of humankind's um, supposed um, mastery of technology, and uh, ability to create beauty. We have never even come close to designing anything as complex and beautiful that can reproduce itself like a single daisy or dandelion, not anything close. And Jesus is saying that my father creates things so gratuitously and so easily with a flick of his wrist, he is so glorious uh, that he will make these 24 hour art exhibits of these little flowers and they'll just die. He's like, I can do it again and again and again and again billions of times. Flowers everywhere. And if, and Jesus is saying there's a logic to this that if he can do that then obviously he can care for you because you're made in the image of God and he has a plan for your life and he knows you and he cares for you. And you're worth a lot more than sparrows. You're worth a lot more than any animal. And that's not speciesism to say that. Human beings are uniquely made in the image of God and God cares for them and protects them, and knows them, each one of them, each one of us. And he actually loves, it gives him good pleasure to provide for you. That's actually something that gives him a lot of pleasure, is providing for you, his children. Jesus gets kind of silly almost about the way that his father provides for his children. Uh, He's kind of making fun of the rich man in the parable. He's being very jovial in the way he talks about this, but these things he pictures... And this parable are are very funny. If you think about them, um, imagine ravens like birds. Imagine some sparrow lands on this, you know, field right here, and comes down with a plow. A little bird comes down with a little tiny plow and begins to, uh, you know, push this around in the grass to create little furrows, and begins to throw seed in the plow. A little raven is a sparrow is harvesting grain. You know, comes out with a a scythe or a sickle. To harvest. Imagine little birds harvesting grain. Imagine birds building a barn to store their stuff in. Jesus says they don't need to build barns. They know that God is going to keep providing for them. He's making fun of the rich man who built the barn. He's saying the little birds don't build any barns, and yet every day they're cared for. And then he pictures uh, dandelions or violets or clover or daisies leaning over like a loom and spinning Yarn, you know, however you make clothing. He's he's asking us to imagine how ridiculous it is to think of a flower leaning over a loom and creating clothes. And he's saying, if they don't do that, why would you be so nervous? Why would you be so anxious? And I love verse 32 where he says, Fear not, little flock. First of all, he calls us a little flock, which is a very affectionate term. Your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom and if he's if it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom then he's going to also give you food and clothing because that's a lot less than the kingdom and it's his good pleasure to do that and i would really encourage you to memorize that verse um so simple verse 32 fear not little flock and think of yourself as one of the little sheep in that flock your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom but you can put a blank space there and put whatever you're worried about so when you go to sleep tonight go through that word by word and personalize that and meditate on that and then in the morning when you wake up maybe you'll be thinking about how that day tomorrow it is the father's good pleasure to provide for you and and your children and all the way onto the future so imagine your life transformed by There goes a bird right there. Imagine your life transformed by trust. Trust in the Heavenly Father. um, Where your anxiety would be so low that you could actually begin to sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's what Jesus commends here. Um, He commends putting your wealth in an investment that never goes away you're putting shifting your wealth into this stock option or whatever you know imagine a company that was guaranteed forever to grow and grow and grow that's what he's saying in the kingdom of God your investments will only grow and become more beautiful so verse 34 I love this principle where your treasure is your heart will be also it's so simple that if you invest your money in stocks and retirement of course your heart will your mind is going to move right into those areas. So if you buy a ton of stock in Apple, you're going to look at Apple. If you bought it in Zoom, you're going to be following Zoom closely to see what's going on. Maybe every day your your heart and mind will flow to your investments. Whereas if you put that money in, you know, if you, if you give that to Jonah Hooper at, at RUF Winston-Salem State, you're going to follow him. You're going to be interested in his newsletters or the Warfields in Senegal. You're going to follow what's going on in Dakar Academy. Your, your mind, your heart, are go- you're going to pray for these two ministries. Uh, you're going to be providing for those who are spiritually needy. And your heart will flow to those things. And if your mindset is all about I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'm going to invest. And then every seven years, that investment will double in value. So I invest thousand dollars, and then seven years later, it's two thousand. And seven months of that, it's four. And you know, just think about all your investments like that, and get really excited about those graphs. I mean, that's just fine. But if you have your money and your mind in that completely, um, your vision of the kingdom will dim. I can guarantee you that, because your your heart will fall follow right into those treasures. But if you think about the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the coming kingdom, if you invest in that, you will be rich towards God. That's that's the promise of verse 21, that if you invest your stuff in things that are eternal, then you will be rich towards God. And what that means is that you will be rich in terms of joining his adventure, there is a great adventure out there to be had, which is to live your life for the kingdom of God and its advancement and spread around the world, which is happening, happening every day, happening right now. A rich for God means you're living in this much bigger world than the American stock market, a much, much bigger world than the way that the world economy is going, where if the world economy is going south, you're living in a much larger frame of reference, a cosmic drama of of the kingdom and the empire fighting together and if you invest in in the kingdom of god that's where your thoughts are going to be and when things are shaken in the in the economy your heart will not be shaken because your heart will be in the kingdom sell your possessions verse 33 give to the needy and give to people helping the needy and not just don't assume that's just the physically needy that's the spiritually needy too those who need to hear the good news of the kingdom he says in verse 33 the returns are eternal money bags that do not grow old treasure that does not fail those are obviously metaphors there's no literal money bag in heaven there's no literal treasure what it means is there are going to be stories and people that you will meet in heaven where the money that you gave to things the people that you shared the gospel with the people that you helped. Those stories and relationships will go on forever and ever in the kingdom of God. And they will be told around tables like this little table. This little tiny table, little portable table with a little cloth and these plastic bins. Not much of a table right there, but that table represents the the wedding feast of the Lamb, the banquet of the Messiah, where we will rejoice and eat with him forever. And tonight is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Um, So... This table is for anyone who wants to be a part of the kingdom of God. God is not exclusive. He's not saying, you've got to do all these things to get to my stuff. If you want Jesus and his kingdom, come and partake at this table. But also we like to say that if if you're not ready to do that, if you don't know what you believe, if you're not sure um, what you think about Jesus and his kingdom, then we don't want you to feel any pressure at all to come and partake. Um, But just know that in partaking, It's not because of anything we do. It's not because of anything we deserve or anything we need to accomplish in order to come to this table. It's all God's uh, free grace. So let me pray for us as we prepare to come to the table. Father, it is your good pleasure.